0: Chapter Forty Nine of Peveril of the Peak by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Dion gines Salt Lake City, Utah. In the King's name, let fall your swords and daggers, critic when the father and son entered the cabinet of audience it was easily visible that sir geoffrey had obeyed the summons as he would have done the trumpet's call to horse and his dishevelled grey locks and half-arranged dress though they showed zeal and haste such as he would have used when charles i called him to attend a council of war seemed rather indecorous in a pacific drawing-room he paused at the door of the cabinet but when the king called on him to advance came hastily forward with every feeling of his earlier and later life afloat and contending in his memory, threw himself on his knees before the king, seized his hand, and without even an effort to speak, wept aloud. Charles, who generally felt deeply so long as an impressive object, was before his eyes, indulged for a moment the old man's rapture my good sir geoffrey he said you have had some hard measure we owe you amends and we'll find time to pay our debt no suffering no debt said the old man i cared not what the rogues said of me i knew they could never get twelve honest fellows to believe a word of their most damnable lies i did long to beat them when they called me traitor to your majesty that i confess but to have such an early opportunity of paying my duty to your majesty overpays it all the villains would have persuaded me i ought not to come to court Aha the duke of ormond perceived that the king coloured much for in truth it was from the court that the private intimation had been given to sir geoffrey to go down to the country without appearing at whitehall and he moreover suspected that the jolly old knight had not risen from his dinner altogether dry-lipped after the fatigues of a day so agitating my old friend he whispered you forget that your son is to be presented permit me to have that honour i crave your grace's pardon humbly said sir Geoffrey, but it is an honour i design for myself and i apprehend no one can so utterly surrender and deliver him up to his majesty's service as the father that begot him is entitled to do julian come forward and kneel here he is please your majesty julian peveril a chip of the old block as stout though scarce so tall a tree as the old trunk when at the freshest take him to you sir for a faithful servant a pendre as the french say if he fears fire or steel axe or gallows in your majesty's service i renounce him he is no son of mine i disown him and he may go to the isle of man the isle of dogs or the isle of devils for what i care charles winked to ormond and having with his wonted courtesy expressed his thorough conviction that julian would imitate the loyalty of his ancestors and especially of his father added that he believed his grace of ormond had something to communicate which was of consequence to his service sir geoffrey made his military reverence at this hint and marched off in the rear of the duke who proceeded to inquire of him concerning the events of the day charles in the meanwhile having in the first place ascertained that the sun was not in the same genial condition with the father demanded and received from him a precise account of all the proceedings subsequent to the trial julian with the plainness and precision which such a subject demanded when treated in such a presence narrated all that happened down to the entrance of bridgenorth and his majesty was so much pleased with his manner that he congratulated arlington on their having gained the evidence of at least one man of sense to these dark and mysterious events but when bridgenorth was brought upon the scene julian hesitated to bestow a name upon him and although he mentioned the chapel which he had seen filled with men in arms and the violent language of the preacher he added with earnestness that notwithstanding all this the men departed without coming to any extremity and had all left the place before his father and he were set at liberty and you retired quietly to your dinner in fleet street young man said the king severely without giving a magistrate notice of the dangerous meeting which was held in the vicinity of our palace and who did not conceal their intention of proceeding to extremities peveril blushed and was silent the king frowned and stepped aside to communicate with ormond who reported that the father seemed to have known nothing of the matter and the son i am sorry to say said the king seems more unwilling to speak the truth than i should have expected We have all variety of evidence in this singular investigation a mad witness like the dwarf a drunken witness like the father and now a dumb witness young man he continued addressing julian your behavior is less frank than i expected from your father's son i must know who this person is with whom you held such familiar intercourse you know him i presume julian acknowledged that he did but kneeling on one knee entreated his majesty's forgiveness for concealing his name he had been freed he said from his confinement on promising to that effect that was a promise made by your own account under compulsion answered the king and i cannot authorize your keeping it it is your duty to speak the truth if you are afraid of buckingham the duke shall withdraw i have no reason to fear the duke of buckingham said peveril that i had an affair with one of his household was the man's own fault and not mine odds fish said the king the light begins to break in on me i thought i remembered thy physiognomy wert thou not the very fellow whom i met at Chiffinch's yonder morning the matter escaped me since but now i recollect thou saidst then that thou wert the son of that jolly old three-bottle baronet yonder it is true said julian that i met your majesty at master Chiffinch's, and i am afraid had the misfortune to displease you but, no more of that young man no more of that but i recollect you had with you that beautiful dancing siren buckingham i will hold you gold to silver that she was the intended tenant of that base fiddle your majesty has rightly guessed it said the duke and i suspect she has put a trick upon me by substituting the dwarf in her place for christian thinks Damn, Christian, said the king hastily, I wish they would bring him hither, that universal referee. And as the wish was uttered, Christian's arrival was announced. Let him attend, said the king, but hark, a thought strikes me. Here, Master Peveril, yonder dancing maiden that introduced you to us, by the singular agility of her performance, is she not? by your account a dependent of the countess of derby i have known her such for years answered julian then we will call the countess hither said the king it is fit we should learn who this little fairy really is and if she be now so absolutely at the back of buckingham and this master christian of his why i think it would be but charity to let her ladyship know so much since i question if she will wish in that case to retain her in her service besides he continued speaking apart this julian to whom suspicion attaches in these matters from his obstinate silence is also of the countess's household we will sift this matter to the bottom and do justice to all the countess of derby hastily summoned entered the royal closet at one door just as christian and zara or fenella were ushered in by the other the old knight of martindale who had ere this returned to the presence was scarce controlled even by the signs which she made so much as he was desirous of greeting his old friend but as ormond laid a kind restraining hand upon his arm he was prevailed on to sit still the countess after a deep reverence to the king acknowledged the rest of the nobility present by a slighter reverence smiled to julian and looked with surprise at the unexpected apparition of fenella buckingham bit his lip for he saw the introduction of lady derby was likely to confuse and embroil every preparation which he had arranged for his defence and he stole a glance at christian whose eye when fixed on the countess assumed the deadly sharpness which sparkles in the adders while his cheek grew almost black under the influence of strong emotion is there any one in this presence whom your ladyship recognizes said the king graciously besides your old friends of ormond and arlington i see my liege Two worthy friends of my husband's house, replied the countess, Sir Geoffrey Peveril and his son, the latter a distinguished member of my son's household. Any one else, continued the king, an unfortunate female of my family, who disappeared from the Isle of Man at the same time when Julian Peveril left it upon business of importance. She was thought to have fallen from the cliff into the sea had your ladyship any reason to suspect pardon me said the king for putting such a question any improper intimacy between master peveril and this same female attendant my liege said the countess colouring indignantly my household is of reputation nay my lady be not angry said the king i did but ask such things will befall in the best-regulated families not in mine sire said the countess besides that in common pride and in common honesty julian peveril is incapable of intriguing with an unhappy creature removed by her misfortune almost beyond the limits of humanity zara looked at her and compressed her lips as if to keep in the words that would fain break from them i know how it is said the king what your ladyship says may be true in the main yet men's tastes have strange vagaries this girl is lost in man as soon as the youth leaves it and is found in st james park bouncing and dancing like a fairy so soon as he appears in london impossible said the countess she cannot dance i believe said the king she can do more feats than your ladyship either suspects or would approve of the countess drew up and was indignantly silent the king proceeded no sooner is peveril in newgate than by the account of the venerable little gentleman this merry maiden is even there also for company now without inquiring how she got in i think charitably that she had better taste than to come there on the dwarf's account aha i think master julian is touched in conscience julian did indeed start as the king spoke for it reminded him of the midnight visit in his cell the king looked fixedly at him and then proceeded well gentlemen peveril is carried to his trial and is no sooner at liberty than we find him in the house where the duke of buckingham was arranging what he calls a musical masque egad i hold it next to certain that this wench put the change on his grace and popped the poor dwarf into the base vial reserving her own more precious hours to be spent with master julian peveril think you not so sir christian you the universal referee is there any truth in this conjecture christian stole a glance at zara and read that in her eye which embarrassed him he did not know he said he had indeed engaged this unrivalled performer to take the proposed part in the mask and she was to have come forth in the midst of a shower of lambent fire very artificially prepared with perfumes to overcome the smell of the powder but he knew not why excepting that she was wilful and capricious like all great geniuses she had certainly spoiled the concert by cramming in that more bulky dwarf i should like said the king to see this little maiden stand forth and bear witness in such manner as she can express herself on this mysterious matter can any one here understand her mode of communication christian said he knew something of it since he had become acquainted with her in london the countess spoke not till the king asked her and then owned dryly that she had necessarily some habitual means of intercourse with one who had been immediately about her person for so many years i should think said charles that this same master peveril has the more direct key to her language after all we have heard the king looked first at peveril who blushed like a maiden at the inference which the king's remark implied and then suddenly turned his eyes on the supposed mute on whose cheek a faint color was dying away a moment afterwards at a signal from the countess Fenella. Or Zara stepped forward and having kissed her lady's hand stood with her arms folded on her breast with a humble air as different from that which she wore in the harem of the duke of buckingham as that of a magdalene from a judith yet this was the least show of her talent of versatility for so well did she play the part of the dumb girl that buckingham sharp as his discernment was remained undecided whether the creature which stood before him could possibly be the same with her who had in a different dress made such an impression on his imagination or indeed was the imperfect creature she now represented she had at once all that could mark the imperfection of hearing and all that could show the wonderful address by which nature so often makes up of the deficiency there was the lip that trembles not at any sound the seeming insensibility to the conversation that passed around while on the other hand was the quick and vivid glance that seemed anxious to devour the meaning of those sounds which she could gather no otherwise than by the motion of the lips examined after her own fashion zara confirmed the tale of christian in all its points and admitted that she had deranged the project laid for a mask by placing the dwarf in her own stead the cause of her doing so she declined to assign and the countess pressed her no farther everything tells to exculpate my lord of buckingham said charles from so absurd an accusation the dwarf's testimony is too fantastic that of the two peverils does not in the least affect the duke that of the dumb damsel completely contradicts the possibility of his guilt methinks my lords we should acquaint him that he stands acquitted of a complaint too ridiculous to have been subjected to a more serious scrutiny than we have hastily made upon this occasion arlington bowed in acquiescence but ormond spoke plainly i should suffer sire in the opinion of the duke of buckingham brilliant as his talents are known to be should i say that i am satisfied in my own mind on this occasion but i subscribe to the spirit of the times and i agree it would be highly dangerous on such accusations as we have been able to collect to impeach the character of a zealous protestant like his grace had he been a catholic under such circumstances of suspicion the tower had been too good a prison for him buckingham bowed to the duke of ormond with a meaning which even his triumph could not disguise to me la pagray, he muttered in a tone of deep and abiding resentment but the stout old irishman who had long since braved his utmost wrath cared little for this expression of his displeasure the king then signing to the other nobles to pass into the public apartments stopped buckingham as he was about to follow them and when they were alone asked with a significant tone which brought all the blood in the duke's veins into his countenance when was it george that your useful friend colonel blood became a musician you are silent he said Do not deny the charge, for yonder villain once seen is remembered for ever. Down, down on your knees, George, and acknowledge that you have abused my easy temper. Seek for no apology, none will serve your turn. I saw the man myself among your Germans, as you call them, and you know what I must needs believe from such a circumstance. Believe that I have been guilty, most guilty, my liege and king, said the duke, conscience-stricken and kneeling down. Believe that I was misguided, that I was mad. Believe anything but that I was capable of harming or being accessory to harm your person i do not believe it said the king i think of you villiers as the companion of my dangers and my exile and am so far from supposing you mean worse than you say that i am convinced you acknowledge more than you ever meant to attempt by all that is sacred said the duke still kneeling had i not been involved to the extent of life and fortune with the villain christian nay if you bring christian on the stage again said the king smiling it is time for me to withdraw come villiers rise i forgive thee and only recommend one act of penance the curse you yourself bestowed on the dog who bit you marriage and retirement to your country seat the duke rose abashed and followed the king into the circle which charles entered leaning on the shoulder of his repentant peer to whom he showed so much countenance as led the most acute observers present to doubt the possibility of there existing any real cause for the surmises to the duke's prejudice the countess of derby had in the meanwhile consulted with the duke of ormond with the peverils and with her other friends and by their unanimous advice though with considerable difficulty became satisfied that to have thus shown herself at court was sufficient to vindicate the honour of her house and that it was her wisest course after having done so to retire to her insular dominions without farther provoking the resentment of a powerful faction she took farewell of the king in form and demanded his permission to carry back with her the helpless creature who had so strangely escaped from her protection into a world where her condition rendered her so subject to every species of misfortune will your ladyship forgive me said charles i have studied your sex long i am mistaken if your little maiden is not as capable of caring for herself as any of us impossible said the countess possible and most true whispered the king i will instantly convince you of the fact though the experiment is too delicate to be made by any but your ladyship yonder she stands looking as if she heard no more than the marble pillar against which she leans now if lady derby will contrive either to place her hand near the region of the damsel's heart or at least on her arm so that she can feel the sensation of the blood when the pulse increases then do you my lord of ormond beckon julian peveril out of sight i will show you in a moment that it can stir at sounds spoken the countess much surprised afraid of some embarrassing pleasantry on the part of charles yet unable to repress her curiosity placed herself near fenella as she called her little mute and while making signs to her contrived to place her hand on her wrist at this moment the king passing near them said this is a horrid deed the villain christian has stabbed young Peveril." the mute evidence of the pulse which bounded as if a cannon had been discharged close by the poor girl's ear was accompanied by such a loud scream of agony as distressed while it startled the good-natured monarch himself i did but jest he said julian is well my pretty maiden i only used the wand of a certain blind deity called cupid to bring a deaf and dumb vassal of his to the exercise of her faculties i am betrayed she said WITH HER EYES FIXED ON THE GROUND. I AM BETRAYED, AND IT IS FIT THAT SHE, WHOSE LIFE HAS BEEN SPENT IN PRACTICING TREASON ON OTHERS, SHOULD BE CAUGHT IN HER OWN SNARE. BUT WHERE IS MY tutor IN INIQUITY? WHERE IS CHRISTIAN, WHO TAUGHT ME TO PLAY THE PART OF SPY ON THIS UNSUSPICIOUS LADY, UNTIL I HAD WELL NIGH DELIVERED HER INTO HIS BLOODY HANDS? this said the king craves more secret examination let all leave the apartment who are not immediately connected with these proceedings and let this christian be again brought before us wretched man he continued addressing christian what wiles are these you have practised and by what extraordinary means she has betrayed me then said christian betrayed me to bonds and death, merely for an idle passion, which can never be successful. But no, Zara,' he added, addressing her sternly, "'when my life is forfeited through thy evidence, the daughter has murdered the father.' The unfortunate girl stared on him in astonishment. "'You said,' at length she stammered forth, "'that I was the daughter of your slaughtered brother.' that was partly to reconcile thee to the part thou wert to play in my destined drama of vengeance partly to hide what men call the infamy of thy birth but my daughter thou art and from the eastern clime in which thy mother was born you derive that fierce torrent of passion which i labored to train to my purposes but which turned into another channel has become the cause of your father's destruction my destiny is the tower i suppose he spoke these words with great composure and scarce seemed to regard the agonies of his daughter who throwing herself at his feet sobbed and wept most bitterly this must not be said the king moved with compassion at this scene of misery If you consent, Christian, to leave this country, there is a vessel in the river bound for New England. Go, carry your dark intrigues to other lands. I might dispute the sentence, said Christian boldly, and if I submit to it, it is a matter of my own choice. One half hour has made me even with that proud woman, but fortune hath cast the balance against me rise zara fenella no more tell the lady of derby that if the daughter of edward christian the niece of her murdered victim served her as a menial it was but for the purpose of vengeance miserably miserably frustrated thou seest thy folly now thou wouldst follow yonder ungrateful stripling thou wouldst forsake all other thoughts to gain his slightest notice and now thou art a forlorn outcast ridiculed and insulted by those on whose necks you might have trod had you governed yourself with more wisdom but come thou art still my daughter there are other skies than that which canopies written stop him said the king we must know by what means this maiden found access to those confined in our prisons i refer your majesty to your most protestant gaoler and to the most protestant peers who in order to obtain perfect knowledge of the depth of the popish plot have contrived these ingenious apertures for visiting them in their cells by night or day his grace of buckingham can assist your majesty if you are inclined to make the inquiry christian said the duke thou art the most barefaced villain who ever breathed of a commoner i may answered christian and let his daughter out of the presence see after him selby said the king lose not sight of him till the ship sail if he dare return to britain it shall be at his peril would to god we had as good riddance of others as dangerous and i would also he added after a moment's pause that all our political intrigues and feverish alarms could terminate as harmlessly as now here is a plot without a drop of blood and all the elements of a romance without its conclusion here we have a wandering island princess i pray my lady of derby's pardon a dwarf a moorish sorceress an impenitent rogue and a repentant man of rank and yet all ends without either hanging or marriage not altogether without the latter said the countess who had an opportunity during the evening of much private conversation with julian peveril there is a certain major bridgenorth who since your majesty relinquishes farther inquiry into these proceedings which he had otherwise intended to abide designs as we are informed to leave england for ever now this bridgenorth by dint of law hath acquired strong possession over the domains of peveril which he is desirous to restore to the ancient owners with much fair land besides conditionally that our young julian will receive them as the dowry of his only child and heir by my faith said the king she must be a foul-favoured wench indeed if julian requires to be pressed to accept her on such fair conditions they love each other like lovers of the last age said the countess but the stout old knight likes not the round-headed alliance our royal recommendation shall put that to rights said the king sir geoffrey peveril has not suffered hardships so often at our command that he will refuse our recommendation when it comes to make him amends for all his losses it may be supposed the king did not speak without being fully aware of the unlimited ascendancy which he possessed over the old tory for within four weeks afterwards the bells of martindale moltrosi were ringing for the union of the families from whose estates it takes its compound name and the beacon-light of the castle blazed high over hill and dale and summoned all to rejoice who were within twenty miles of its gleam End of chapter forty nine, end of Peveril of the Peak by Sir Walter Scott.